This week on Deeper Dish, we have Ari and Smiley, the host of a local podcast called Kinky Conscious. Kinky meaning knowledgeable, iconic, natural, conscious, and young. These young ladies are new to the podcast scene, just like myself, but I truly feel like they have a longer runway than I do. They bring a youthful exuberance to the podcast, vulnerability. It reminds me of just kind of two friends sitting, chit-chatting in a very intellectual way about everyday life. There's also a tone of, of something that's very authentically, I would say, African-American in Chicago about their show. It's a peek behind that curtain for folks that don't get to have that experience very often. So without much further ado, here's Ari and Smiley. Keeping it kinky. We back and 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 we back. All right, so we met at the Chicago Podcast Festival. Yes. Right? And I was, I think I was sitting behind back, us. I was sitting in back of you guys, mm-hmm. and some, some guy was like, hey, I'm Johnny White Guy. And <laughs> All my all my podcasters out there, who who's got a podcast? And everybody was naming their podcast, and and then people were like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and you raise your hand. You, I think you all were looking at each other. Like, yes, because I wasn't gonna do right, it. Right? You're like, you should, you should raise your hand, or somebody's like, raise your hand, raise your hand. And then he was like, what's your name of your podcast? And you're like, Kinky Conscious. He's like, what? <laughs> like, kinky conscious. He's like, I haven't heard of that one, but that's a good job. Yeah. <laughs> like, crickets, nobody. Crickets. And, and, right? And no, it was crickets and nobody said anything. And um, the, the person next to me was like, you got a podcast too, don't you? That's why you're here. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm good. <laughs> after, after seeing that, <laughs> that response. I'm like, What's it that right, right? I, I think I was the only one clapping for her. Right. For yourself. <laughs> kinky conscious. Yeah. Woo. It's like a, it's like one of those Trump nominations when all his, his staffers are like clap, clap. Right. And so that actually made me feel good because I was like, see, they're starting out just like me. I'm like 30 years older than you all. But I'm like, we're in the same. Oh family. my god! I'm an old the man. Exaggeration. I'm an old man. And then I was like, I'm gonna go up and introduce myself. And I was like, oh, hey, I'm Farah. Which you like? Oh, I'm the, I never remember names. I'm horrible with names. And I think a lot of times when you when people introduce themselves to one another. They like he's not gonna reach out to me. It might have been that day or like the next day. I was the like, "Hey, day. remember me? <laughs> I saw you at the podcast festival. I'm gonna listen. I, I promise you, I'm gonna listen because I told you I would listen to it. I was yes. like, I haven't listened to it yet, but I promise I'm gonna listen to it. And then I listened to it. I was like, this is really good. What I like about your show that I don't like about my show is that when I first started doing my show, I wanted it to be like yours. I wanted it to be like just people sit down and just kind of like talk about mm-hmm. stuff, right? So I love that about your show. Obviously, you all are young, talented, educated. And then I don't think anybody would make a mistake and say, your show is authentically black. I don't, yeah, I don't think <laughs> right? people would make that mistake. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. You, your show is two black girls sitting down, mm-hmm. just keeping it real. Every once in a while, I think you all are going to go at it. But for the most part, <laughs> you all, you all kind of keep it, keep it cordial. And you all talk about everything. I get the sense that there's nothing that's off limits. Like, talk to me about how you all got to that point of doing the podcast. Uh, so Elena finally came back from North Carolina where she was going to school. And I visited her <laughs> one day. And uh, we started just talking about things that we talk about. Yeah, shooting the shit. Right. Okay, give me a topic. Give me a topic. That we were talking about that day? Yeah, was it a boy? No. No? We, well, okay, so I was telling you about a project I was doing in class about selective enrollment schools oh, yeah, yeah. and oh. having gone to Jones we I felt the project connected. was a dude well, no <laughs> but then she Munchie texts me and she's like oh can you look up this map and cut this photo like right. <laughs> 
can you do my work for me? <laughs> yeah, basically. Oh, so I'm really not computer savvy at all. All I know is like Microsoft Word, Internet, iTunes. So when I need something for a project, like if I need a, a specific picture mm-hmm. from a website, you read a book or what? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm gonna call Smiley. <laughs> yeah. So I needed something from a website, just the picture, not the words, and I didn't know how to just get the picture. So. I sent her the website and I'm like, I need this picture. I need it for a project I'm doing. Yeah. And then I get to reading as she's like sending me these random links for me to take the pictures from. Yeah. Yeah. And then I get to reading like, oh, what is this? And then she comes over and we kind of talk about it and get Mm kind of heated discussions because it's not fair about the whole magnet school thing. But yeah. (laughs) What's not fair about the magnet school? That's like a rich person saying, this isn't fair. These poor people, because you all went to a magnet school. Well, no, but they changed the stipulations to like get in. It's how they um, select students to get into the selective enrollment schools. So if you have the map of Chicago, there are different areas, and these areas are grouped into tiers. Four tiers. Yes, four tiers. So you already know about now, it. I'm, I'm just. I want you to explain it to me. Yeah. So you have four tiers, and they're ranked based on different classifications, like socioeconomic status, mm-hmm. bilingual status in the home, single parent headed homes, that sort of thing, and that determines what tier you're in. And then from there, the schools look at that sort of information in determining if you're going to go to the school. So when you're taking the selective enrollment test, you're only competing against other students within your tier. You're not competing against the entire Chicagoland area. That becomes slightly problematic because there's different arguments. You'll have some people from a higher tier who want their child to go to a certain school but possibly can't or aren't accepted because they needed to accept someone in a certain in a lower tier. So that's one argument. There's also the fact that you want to make these schools as diverse as possible mm-hmm. and based on race and socioeconomic class and those sorts of things, but it doesn't always work out to be that way. One of the things that I was looking at in my project was what is the difference between these elites selective enrollment high schools and the ones that aren't doing so well that are on the south side and the differences are just like stark just very different so you look at the act scores of schools like king or Gwendolyn brooks and you compare them to like a north side or a Peyton, and they don't perform as well as the students there mm. that was kind of what i was highlighting with my research is like why are these schools on the south side that are supposed to be selective enrollment schools not perform as well as some of these elite schools like a Jones, a Whitney Young, a Payton, or mm-hmm. a North Side. Yep. And then that just got me going, you know, knee deep in research on how do they come up with these tiers and what sort of things happen and just the creation of selective enrollment schools in general. How was the process when you were in school? They might have had the tier system yeah. when we were in school too. We just weren't aware of it. Mm-hmm. But you go, you take, take an test. entrance exam and <laughs> And they look at a number of things, one of them being the tier, another thing being your grades from um, either 7th or 8th grade, yep. your right. attendance, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then they give you a number. Back then, it was out of 1,000 points, but I believe now it's out of 900. And so based on what score you get on the exam, you also rank which mm. schools you want to go to, one through four, one being the one you want to go to mm. the most, of course. And then you wait and see which yeah. school accepts you. I went through the same process. It wasn't as... Structured. Uh, structured. So I got accepted to Whitney Young. And I went to school right across the street from Whitney Young. It turned out to be it was like a feeder program into Whitney Young. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a language academy. And I, I was above average student. But I remember taking a, a, an exam. But that was it. It wasn't like... It wasn't the tier or anything like that. The tiers hurt people can help people, right? With like my daughters living in this area and if they're good students, it's it's gonna hurt them. They're gonna be competing against the tier one folks. Even though I'm like, oh, you know, they're minorities and it's like, no, fuck that. <laughs> right. <laughs> you still you're still in tier one. Like look where you live, you're still in tier one. But I think what you're talking about is a different thing. You're talking about their selective enrollment schools on the south side. And they're underperforming their their peer selective enrollment schools. Right, that's what I was looking at. I think that's what I blogged about. I wrote a post about this after we talked about it. Right, which then created the podcast idea. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Even suburban schools like 
HF, Rich Central, and all, all of those are still doing slightly better than the supposed um, college prep schools on the South Side. So that kind of pissed me off. Yeah, I mean, it would. The question, though, is like, is King or a selective enrollment school, is that at least doing better than its peer neighborhood school? Probably. That's not hard. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't look so much. <laughs> that's, you said that's not I mean, hard. it's not. It's not hard. <laughs> right. Okay. It's yeah, yeah. I would imagine so. But there are also schools that do better than the Southside selective enrollment schools that aren't selective mm. enrollment or college prep, like um, Kenwood does really well. Yeah. Yep. Kenwood, when I was younger, was part of that selective enrollment because they used to have. I don't know if they still have it. They had that seventh and eighth grade program that competed with Whitney Young. So they like, do. if you lived on the South Side. You were like, oh, I don't want to go to Whitney. I'm going to go to Kenwood. Mm-hmm. I, I can see that, too. I hate to say this, but there are a lot of people aren't putting King throughout the city on their list. Right, right. right? And so then King just kind of gets the remnants of... of Who's left. Who, right. Yeah. Or Brooks or, you know, all the other... Yeah. South Shore is now a college prep school. Yeah. It was just very interesting research. Interesting and pissed off is just two different things. What pissed you off about it? I think Elena said pissed off. <laughs> I was more intrigued with you it. you mean Smiley? Guys, my name's Ari. Your name's Munchie. And this is Elena. And I'm Smiley. I'm sorry if the (laughs) listeners are confused. (laughs) We are one. I am one person. (laughs) And I was born Ariana. Ari, for short, it makes more sense. Yeah, it pissed Elena off. And for me, I just thought it was kind of like, it was interesting research. When it comes to research about schools and Chicago, I'm like, all in so you all both went to jones but you all didn't live in that i don't even know what area that's is that south loop no. right yeah south loop yeah. you all didn't live there you all lived in a different neighborhood mm-hmm. yes at the time where'd you live smiley according to um school <laughs> were you stealing taxpayer money no we moved like my sophomore year but we were planning to move oh but the freshman you were you were stealing sure <laughs> they are throwing people out right now for that well, we moved, so I was technically in the south suburbs in South Holland. That's a hike. Well, yeah, I would take the bus at 5 in the morning to the red line, and then, yeah. It's a 14-year-old? That's like more than 100 blocks. I mean, I, when I was in, like, what was it, seventh grade, I told my parents, the high school sucks. I don't want to go there. It was literally on the corner. That was the whole reason we moved out there, so we could just walk to school. I said, the high school sucks, so I'm going to apply to these schools here. And then my aunt's like, oh, we went to Jones when it was Jones Commercial. And I'm like, okay. So I applied, I got in, and boom. Then my dad's like, you can't keep doing this, and I'm not going to be chasing this bus down at 5 a.m. in the morning. Because I would miss the bus, and then we'd go chase the bus. He would hop in front, and I would hop out. <laughs> oh, Lord. We moved to Little Italy when I was nine years old, maybe. I took the blue line by myself at nine years old. I remember those days with the tokens. You put the token in, you had to, or you had to pay with cash. I took it back to the west side, to North Lawndale, by myself. Every once in a while, I would meet my aunt, who also went to Mason. And I would take the, my mom, let me take the train at like nine years old. Knowing my mom right now, like my mom is afraid of her own shadow. But you were taking it. I thought mine, your commute was crazy. I told my parents, I was like, I don't want to go here. They were on block scheduling. The scores were dropping because like my sister went there. She was number one in high school. She tied for like top two when she graduated. And then the school just went downhill. What school? What high school? Thornwood. Thornwood, okay. So then... Yeah, I was like, hey, I want to go to Jones. She's like, all right, have you figured out how you're going to get there? And I'm like, yeah, I found out that this bus goes to the red line. I can take the red line to Harrison's right in front of the school. And she's like, okay. That was very proactive of you. You must have used the internet. Yeah. Computer, that's why I go to her. You look at me like you're crazy because when I was doing that, there was no internet. I mean, but. Internet had just started. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was AOL. It was dollar. Yeah, the discs. Internet had just like became for people like me. Now, I wasn't leading the charge in, in the internet game, but I remember in eighth grade, like we had just figured out what www dot was. Like, what? <laughs> I can get information. <laughs> it was really slow, and you you get better connection at school than you would other places because yeah. they had the money they could afford it. You ended up there. You still didn't tell me what neighborhood you live. Oh, in. <laughs> um, what is that? Ninth Fifth and Ashland over there. That's that was my Ashland. No, boo boo. We did move to Chat. The Chat. Yeah, that is I Chatham. Know, I think so. Chatham. That's like, a little further north. Ninety third in Indiana. I don't know if that's Chatham. That's like Chatham. Mm. I mean, no, just walk to the train and then. I had some interesting times on that red line. People are crazy. People were rude. I almost got sprayed with the beer. You got off and got on the orange one. Yes, ma'am. 
Like, yeah, no. Me and like Kendall and stuff, we stayed on. Oh, yeah. So how about you? Me. Neighborhood. We. I grew up majority of my life in, I guess it's Ashburn area. Yeah. So Ashburn was where they would take all the waste and ashes from I don't know where. Oh. But and they would go, they would take it to that neighborhood and burn it. Wow. Uh, and you can see it from miles away, like oh, <laughs> the, the ashes, ashes huh. burn. So there you go, ash burn. Interesting. That the is, wasteland. Is, is, we have a guy on our block who's 97, I want to say. He's in excellent shape. He still goes golfing. He drives. He goes to Florida all the time. Mm. He gives us history about the block from time to time. Like apparently, it was just all grass at one point. Mm-hmm. There were no houses. There were no. no there was no nothing. And then he was there for, you know, the houses. And then the high school started popping up and, you know, civilization. <laughs> civilization. <laughs> so you all met in high school. Yes. Stayed in touch through college. You all went to different colleges. <laughs> How did it happen? Munchie comes to my house and she really doesn't leave. <laughs> she she should have lived at my house. Yeah. And then we just talk about stuff. And then she's just like, oh, we could be talking about this on a podcast. And I was like, I know, right? Ding, ding, ding. We talk a lot so, of stuff. So how did you all learn about or get into the podcast thing? Well, I had listened to the read, so. She knew about it. I knew nothing about it. I just figured. If they can the, do it, I can right, do it. Right, basically. <laughs> yeah. Put her in charge of all the computer stuff, because, again, <laughs> I don't know much about computers. What did you do? You bought a mic, and. She was trying to get the, the little $200 mics. I was like, yeah, no, we need to test this out first. I love listening to you all. When I'm at work, it makes me, like, shit that you all say is not even funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting here, I'm like, did she just call her a bitch? <laughs> did she seriously just say that? Yes, she did. <laughs> <laughs> she did. I, I was like, man, did they pause it and, like, fight and then come back and finish? You all just keep going. <laughs> so what's your favorite thing to talk about? I don't know. I don't think yeah, I have a favorite topic. It's just, like. I never realized how good of a show it is until we play it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, that was really good. Because in the moment, it seems like we don't even have a script. Like, not a script, but yeah, we don't even have an outline. It. Like, yeah. And I hate when it's just kind of like we're just talking. Don't take this the wrong way. You go off sometime into, like, tangent, like, work. Who, Elena? Yeah, smiling. Yeah. You go way out there. And then Ari's like, what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and I think I may hear some paper in the background, like, like her, she's pointing, like, bring, bring this shit back to point one. Like, she right. does not do that, but no. she does do the what were we talking about. We yeah. both go in tangents. When I record, I try to be the recorder and the audience at the same time. So if I don't know what's going on, I can only imagine how it is for but the audience. But we have great tangents. In your head, yeah. <laughs> in your head, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's fine. Right. No, it's funny because before I launched my show, I taped like three or four practice shows mm-hmm. and I listened to them and I sent them around to my friends. I was like, they're like, it's really good, but you all go off into some crazy tangents and I don't know if it's ever going to come back. And we all, everybody always comes back. How far off the fucking path do you go? Right. And then like, if you've gone so far off that they really forgot what the original topic is, it's like, shit, you know, I've taken them so far away from what we were originally talking about that they're not coming back. If you do it really well, it could be really good. Mm-hmm. And that's actually one another thing I like about your show because you all do it well, but then you all always bring it back. One of my favorite ones recently was the Trump. We so Ari was advocate. playing devil's advocate. Yes. And Smiley was just She was she, pissing me off. No, no, you were just you were you were pissed off because you were just trying to make a point that like our new president is is just a Trash. fucking asshole. Yes. But there was a point though where I don't think you were being devil's advocate. I think you were being truthful cuz where you started talking about Obama, like, Obama ain't do shit for us. That wasn't devil's advocate. I felt some real anger and vitriol. So what's up with you and Obama? I'm sorry, President Obama, our 44th president, the greatest president. The only since- president I'll acknowledge. Okay, so I'm, I have nothing against President Obama. I, what I why, think- why don't you like Kenyans? What's, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> I finally got to vote and be a part of the political process and saw Obama from, you know, inception until the end of his eight years. And then I just started coming to 
uh, realizations about politics in general. Mm -hmm. Having been involved in it, then that's when, you know, things start making more or less sense. What comes along with politics is money. You know, money with strings attached, essentially. So there's certain things that you can and can't do, which is why I don't really fault Obama for, you know, not taking a stand on certain issues that black people felt that he should have taken a stand on. Here she goes. Look, 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 look. Because this does not sound like conversations we've had in the past. Don't try to be PC. I have to clarify a little bit and then I'll go into what I was saying. I was just disappointed. That's more more so the word is because a lot of us were expecting him to be the beacon of hope, which is what he had his whole campaign centered around. We have a representative, like a man in charge of an entire country who can say things and do things and push the button. And then you realize that he can't say or do those things or push the button. So it just kind of sucked. I felt I felt disappointed. The button is like. Make it all good for black people button? No. The button can be any issue. Like, the button. Okay. We're going to war. Or we're um, <laughs> forgiving don't. student loan debt. Like, that was. Push it. <laughs> <laughs> Push that button. Push it. Push it three times. Shoot. It could have been any president. It, I was hoping I was like with you, and then you let me down, kind of thing. I feel like Obama got so much slack simply because he's black. Oh, that rhymed. Lord. <laughs> Because everybody was like, oh, our president is black. We got so much hope. They don't let us do nothing now. White people? I'm DJ Khaled. They, the oppressed, <laughs> whoever the oppressor the haters. Is. <laughs> yeah. The black people were basically like, all of the stuff I read, it was like Obama didn't do anything for us. He had the opportunity. We don't know what that man had to go through. Clearly, even just watching the shade that they threw about his family, calling them monkeys and all of that. It's like we're expecting him to just fix it now. Go. You got right. four years. You, right. Oh, now you got right. eight years. Fix right. it. Right. 2008. So that was nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Eight years ago when he, when he came into office. You all were just leaving high school. So we couldn't vote in the first yeah. election. We could vote in the second okay. one. Okay. So in 2008, 2009, I don't know if you all remember this. Shit was bad. Mm-hmm. Like Recession-wise? Everything-wise. Okay. Like shit was bad. Mm-hmm. We were losing four hundred to 500,000 jobs mm-hmm. a month. The automotive industry needed to be bailed out. The financial regulations were crazy. The world thought of us, we were the shitty people in the neighborhood. We were that curmudgeon old white dude that just didn't want to leave the black neighborhood. He was putting nails out when people were skateboarding and like just being just being angry. That happened to me in my neighborhood. It was like, like, what? like I'm talking from a real experience. <laughs> wow. so, but we were that guy. People hate people disliked us. A lot of times politicians promise a lot of stuff. And then I, I also think being new voters, you were like eight out of the 20 whatever years, you had a black president. You mm-hmm. had a black president longer than anybody else, like percentage of your life. No no other people can say that. And so when I hear someone say, this dude didn't do everything, I'm like, I remember how bad it was. I remember my educated friends like getting laid off. Now, to say that this dude's perfect, no, absolutely not. Like, the Middle East strategy, yeah, silly. ISIS, that whole situation, leaving, even though we we said we were going to leave, we shouldn't allow. But Net, I believe, him and his family are going to be missed. You already see. Where where Melania at right now? This dude can't go by a week without some kind of messing up something, just like general stats. Now it's coming out that dude may not even know how to read that well. (laughs) Yeah, he needs to just stay on Twitter. But... (laughs) I also think that there was a lot of unfair expectations put on him by the community. Like, yeah. save us. Mm-hmm. And and he's not that type of dude. He's not like, you right. know, you know, there are elected officials. They black. Like, they are black. They walk around and like, I'm going to shake every black person's hand and everybody else. I'm not. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not those people. Like, mm-hmm. you look at Jesse. You look at some other people out here. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's a black politician. Barack right. Obama's just a politician. Yeah, he's always been sort of um like a multicultural kind of all-encompassing yeah. individual. Even even his platforms when he was a senator was you know the same thing. So to expect anything different is is kind of ridiculous. However, I wasn't paying attention to him when he was a senator. I couldn't vote then. And to that point, I'm gonna say that's on you. Of course, because you expect it. You expect like he gonna take care of us. Yay! The <laughs> like, only thing- every time he opened the door. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I will not put that much faith in any president. But a lot of people did. Uh, of course. You sound like you were hating. But J. Cole said it best. Yes. Oh. How you going to um, get this man the reins and expect him to steer a sinking ship? He inherited a lot of mess. And I, his chief like platform was universal health care, which 
when Obama won, I was happy. I was happy for what he represented. Mm-hmm. What did he represent in your mind? He just to me, he just represented like overcoming the odds. Yeah, I, you know, like you would never think to have a black president in office. And so what he and his family represented, like this is all black. Like your family is black. And they are very black. Right. So it was just Wait, like, are you yes. making some jokes? You got jokes? No. no. Oh, I think you, you said it. You looked at me like his family's all black for her. No. I'm joking. No, you're, you're right. The guy ran into a lot after two years when the uh, Republicans got power. I mean, it was just obstruction after mm-hmm. obstruction after mm-hmm. obstruction after mm-hmm. obstruction, right? Mm-hmm. I get that. That's part of the political game. But it was almost to the point where it became very obvious that there was something else going on besides this person doesn't have good ideas. It's like, we're just going to hate to hate. And if you think about it, this president came with no controversy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I look at it like these people were the most dignified, respectful people, mm-hmm. and they happened to be black. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can't, you can't touch Michelle. Like, and they still are, even after right? like, this eight years. There are certain people in our lives that they don't. Their lives, they don't. Their lives don't belong to them anymore. And and I'm, and I'm being, I'm joking when I say this that we, I need, but. The reality is you get to a certain status in life where your your life doesn't belong mm-hmm. to you. Coretta Scott King is not just Coretta. She belongs yeah, to the people. True. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Gandhi, all these people, they belong they, they, they belong to society. Yeah. And you got to start acting. And, and that's one of the reasons why I have a fucking problem with Jesse Jackson. You shook. You were, you were MLK's right-hand dude, mm-hmm. and now you, you shake people down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, you rainbow coalition and you know for the check i i i know i you, you shouldn't be shouldn't be saying stuff like that but it's true but this dude is out here profiteering <laughs> right yep and he he was in this place where he he was at that point of like belonging to the people too mm-hmm. and uh he went a whole whole different route but i, I get the sense that like president obama is the same way and i and i'm not gonna sit here and say he was perfect he he Fucked up some shit, right? He fucked up some shit with the healthcare. He should have got. He should have built a little bit of coalition instead of like, you know, jamming it in. Mm-hmm. You know, we lost a lot of governorships throughout the country. We lost a lot of house seats. We lost a lot of senate seats because he was stubborn. Because he was very Chicago. He was like, <laughs> "Fuck it, I'm doing it all by my by right. myself." And that's right. how we. That's how we are. Um, but yeah, he does. He he does owe us something. I don't know what it is. And I know between the two of them, they're gonna come up with something. They're gonna be, mm-hmm. they're gonna be out here doing certain things. Yeah, you know? I understand that. I, yeah. yeah, because you become this figurehead, and uh, with that comes this uh, underlying responsibility that yeah. you have to the greater good. Right. So, like, you have a uh, you have a responsibility to your to your listeners not to be talking crazy about the president. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's your response. And then you then not only were you talking crazy about Barack. You were like pumping up Trump, like, like like he was like the Cheeto God, you know? the Cheeto God. <laughs> yeah. Like, because I God? was like, "What is going on here?" Yeah. This clip is from Kinky Conscious episode fourteen, called "The Fuckery," playing DA. DA means devil's advocate. In this clip, Munchie is playing devil's advocate, defending President Elect Trump. And she kind of goes into actually defending him and not playing devil's advocate. Well, okay, I'm going to do a little DA here. That's devil's advocate. And Trump invited uh, MLK3. <laughs> that sounds like a movie or something. Uh, invited him. He also invited Kanye. He also invited Steve Harvey. What was the relevance of that? Like what? what? Steve Harvey. Say, see, this is my theory. He's trying to get somebody from every generation or, like, the divide between you got the oldest, which is MLK3. Did anyone even know his relevance before I mean, this thing? he tried to sell his daddy's body. I mean, but how much influence And his is, Nobel Prize. He's not really picked. Kanye, influential person, yes. Steve Harvey, no, yes. The, MLK3, The main man. reason he brought him in was because it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. True. And his name is Martin Luther King III. <laughs> So I feel like that's his only relevance in this. Like, what have you been doing for civil rights? Granted, I don't know this man's track record. And clearly, I don't care to look. Because when I scroll through <sighs> my Twitter feed, 
Everybody was like, this is just the nigga that was known for trying to sell his daddy's Bible and his Nobel Prizes trying to come up on a quick book. So, well, okay, maybe, I'm like I said, playing DA here. Uh, um, has any other president taken the initiative to reach out? Let me finish. Oh, my God. Reach out <laughs> to members of the black community, influential or not, and say, hey, how can we fix some of the issues that you all's communities are facing? What is has any other president? Has any other president? Obama had a, has any other a White House full of, of famous black folks. Of famous beneficial He's black folks at the end of his eight year term. No, not even at the end. Don't come for him like that because you want to <laughs> stick up for Trump. He had, you know, yeah, like, you meant it. You weren't, you weren't being devil's well, advocate. Well, the thing, okay, well, so what happened? What happened was I, <laughs> I, and I explained this to y'all a little earlier mm-hmm. that my own grandfather voted for Trump, and my grandfather and I are like the closest of close. He is my hero. I love him forever, and so we talk con- constantly. Right. And one of the things that he's always been involved in is politics. So he has vast knowledge coming here from, you know, whenever he came here in the 50s to now. He's seen a lot when it comes to it. And he would point out inconsistencies with Hillary, her campaign, etc. So by default, he sounded like he was supporting Trump. And I guess, you know, he did because he voted for him. I understand both sides because I spent so much time talking to him and he has all yeah. of this knowledge that I can present the devil's advocate. You, you weren't really devil's advocate, though. You were though. meaning it. So Trump, you think he did it? He raped all these women? Oh, I definitely think Trump's a big-ass pervert. They have audio of him saying right. Gra- crazy, ridiculous, graphic <laughs> things. The man is gross. Look at the way he treats his daughter. He's nothing but a Twitter thug. We don't rock with those. I found it so interesting that the other day I was looking at the POTUS Twitter, and all it is is retweets of Donald Trump's yeah. tweets. Like, he's what? not even tweeting from the POTUS account because he's talking so much trash. On like, his a regular account. Hilarious. Well, there there's a rumor out there that dude suffers from some mental illness so why doesn't the president have like oh stipulations let me get a mental capacity check going on here like because the president and his apparatus would have to say i have a problem well no i'm saying like these should be requirements before you you should have to have experience even like these like work experience no like i mean some sort of political experience even like this chick for the education like Oh, Devos. I'm so pissed about this woman. She's really mad about the education decision. <laughs> because she's so dumb. Like, get out of here. So how do you really feel about her? She's no. an idiot. She's <laughs> like, she's an idiot. She, she doesn't care. Money. Yeah, she's they like, all just have money. Yeah. Like, I'm a Rosa. What? When you get to high places, you want to surround yourself with people that you get along with and that you like. Which are you, not likable owe, by anyone else. Or that you owe favors to. I'm not saying it's right. But Obama did it. Yep. You can dispute their policies, but you can't dispute that they like qualify for the job. It's like I'm saying, Munchie, won't you come be my director of IT when she can't work nothing beyond a word? Like, <laughs> honestly, what sense would that make? <laughs> and this is this is just the White House. We're only gonna f up the country. <laughs> hey, come on in. <laughs> come on, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we got wings. Did somebody say wings? <laughs> so let me ask you a point blank question do you support trump did you vote for trump no i did not did you vote for hillary no i did not who did you vote for jill stein <laughs> so you one of those people what does that mean chicago illinois is gonna be blue anyway exactly that's how i felt i wasn't even gonna vote and then i was like we're gonna whatever but you, but you told people who you were voting for and you talked to them no, she didn't. No, I didn't. Yeah, I'm sure you did. I no. did not. She didn't. Did you, I did not. Did see? you know how she felt? Yeah. I mean, she texted me and told me, oh, I voted Green Party or whatever. Mm. And I was like, I'm not surprised. I have this whole voting strategy thing. Which is? If you're anti-Hillary, then you have to vote for Trump. If you hate Trump, you have to vote for Hillary. It's like uh, game theory, right? It's like you, if you vote for Stein or the dude who didn't know what Aleppo was... <laughs> And Stein doesn't believe in science. I'm, I'm not going to go there. If you vote for either one of those people, they have absolutely no chance of winning. 
So if you vote for one of those people, it's like not voting. It's like not voting. It's actually like voting for the person that you really hate. I had a whole argument, and I get it's your right, but when we talk about strategy, because then not only your vote, when you you may not outright say it, we never told our daughter that we didn't like Trump or that we love Hillary or whatever. We never said that, and I don't love Hillary at all. Like she's got a whole bunch of baggage. But my daughter sees Donald Trump. She goes, Donald Trump? What is he doing on TV? Because they, she just picks up on it. When we see him, we're just like, ah, Donald Trump. You exude something, especially you, for 18 months this has been going on. It's different if they were polling in like the 15% mm-hmm. each, 20%. They were polling like less than 6%, those two candidates. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from as far as the voting strategy. You're right. In Illinois, it may or may not matter. But one day it will. At some point... Ohio, never ma- it never mattered. Or in Michigan, it never mattered. But over time, that picks up. It matters that you vote, and it matters who you vote for. I told someone, and they got really pissed at me. I said, and don't take this the wrong way. If you voted for Stein or Gary Johnson, you might as well have written in Mickey Mouse. That was next. That was my next People choice, did actually. write in uh, Harambe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. I saw that. Oh. <laughs> What's your thoughts on the whole Harambe thing? Why the heck are your kids that close to be hopping in pins with? I don't know. think he, he should have. He just fell in. She wasn't watching him. I don't think that they should have <laughs> killed she wasn't him. Watching. No, they shouldn't have killed him because that was her fault and the little boy fault. You know not to go climbing in no little gorilla pin. If Harambe would have picked that kid up and thrown him against that boulder and just started doing it like repeatedly, would you be sitting here saying they should have killed him? Probably. Yeah. Yes. You can't have it both ways. Yes, you no, can. but the thing is, but the mom still, I still would have said the mom should have known better. Why are you not watching your kids? Harambe's actions were that of a a mother. A, yeah, you're just gonna pick him up and do a little thing that you would do with your baby gorilla. This thing doesn't know its own power. Well, relative, he knows what he's doing. Harambe knows what he was doing, but he's a very powerful. Well, thing. not a tranquilizer. A couple of them, because he was big. A lot of parents won't admit this to you openly. But they don't watch their kids? Every parent has misplaced their kid for like 10 seconds. At the zoo? Yes, You should be watching when they can climb over stuff. I know you should, and and it's horrible to say. (laughs) One time, I recorded the sound of a merry-go-round or some shit like that, and we were at Brookfield Zoo. I turned around and looked for my wife, and my daughter was on my right-hand side. I turned around and looked for my wife, so I looked left. And I turned around, and my daughter was gone. That quick. It was less than three seconds. She went running towards the merry-go-round, and there was a whole bunch of kids. And I was like, oh, shit. Your heart starts beating. You start to sweat. But it happens that quickly. And I was upset with myself. And it was literally only three seconds. I, I found her just like that. I'm like, oh, there she is. Let me go get her. I want to get to the guy part of your show. Cause you all be going in on dudes. That's the you know we just got a listener letter and they're Wait, like you got listener letters. Yeah, we got listener letters ooh, now. Ooh, ooh. How many list? How many letters you got? Now I'm gonna compete <laughs> have, with you. I'm, I'm we gonna... have a letter, a listener letter, <laughs> a romping letter. <laughs> so it's a guy and he says, you know, you all seem to have um, strong opinions. strong opinions about men and dating yeah. as millennials. How about we present the other side? Like, what are the shitty aspects of a of, female? Of, yeah, of <sighs> dating a girl. Cause so you don't think you bring any baggage into the relationship? Oh, that, I know, I do. Uh, yeah, but that, but don't you think it hurts the relationship? It definitely does. It yeah. makes it very unhealthy. What y'all fucking say, sound like? Like you okay with it though? I mean, uh, no, but you are acknowledging and recognizing the fact that you're bringing it. So that means do that you acknowledge it though. Oh, I acknowledge mine. Like, <laughs> yo, <laughs> I do too. Yeah, that's something that's gonna come up. So yeah. you might as well talk about it. Yeah, it's kind of like um post-traumatic relationship <laughs> disorder like you can have one thing that triggers mm-hmm. because the yeah. event was so painful <laughs> yes yeah. you can have a completely new person but a similar situation and it just triggers that old yeah. response and then you start going through the, the, the emotion I've, i can honestly say i've been fortunate that i've had different experiences with women and the ones that didn't work out i've had different fucked up sh- it wasn't like the same thing mm-hmm. you know it was one of them had some, you know, some esteem issues. One of them had some history with dudes not treating them the right way. And I was a serial monogamous. So I had these long, all these long-term relationships. One of them just broke my heart. And so I returned the favor at the most optimal time for me. <laughs> Vindicated. <laughs> One of the things I love about my wife is that 
and I think she likes loves about me too is that when we get into an argument or a disagreement, if it's not something super important, I'm like, whatever. Like, okay, mm-hmm. sorry, <laughs> my bad. Or we'll just walk away from it and still carry on and not be angry. And then she'll come back to me and she'll say, hey, I'm stressing about some work stuff. This is going on. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I snapped off on you. I don't think that happens enough. Like, you people either let it fester or people just, like, snap off and one person has to be right and one person has to be wrong. Through marriage, I found that you both can be right. <laughs> you both can be wrong. Mm-hmm. Nothing is 50-50. And if somebody thinks it's 50-50 all the time, yeah, no. On average, it's never 50-50. So what's, I, know, I know her story. What's, what's your trigger point? Oh. I know Smiley's story. Went through a serious situation. Won't get into all the details. She moved on. What's your trigger point? I had a few guys. Everything was great as far as, you know, we met each other. I was just kind of duped, I feel like. Like, we met each other. You liked me. You got my number. You pursued me. Then you tell me you got a girlfriend two months later. What the fuck? Like, I'm confused. I feel like that's a common thing. Very. Another guy was, you know, you liked me. You hit me up. We went out. We were having fun. Your ex-girlfriend calls me. Cut your phone off. She's mad. Crazy stuff. And I'm just like. Your ex-girlfriend calls you? Yeah, she called me. Just really just odd, like really weird situations. I think if you liked me, but you were on this quasi break with your girlfriend, you should have let me know. Don't, you know, leave me on. Don't let's do this. Let's go out here. Let's et cetera. And then hit me with the long text. Like, I don't want to do this to you. I'm so sorry. I just got to let you know. I got a girlfriend. I like the voice. <laughs> I, like, I like every girl. It don't matter if the girl is is Hispanic, is white, is black. They always do the dumb guy voice. Yeah. Uh, I hate doing this, but I never understood that about guys. Let, let's say you are in between. Or let's say you socially are doing dirt. I actually feel like a lot of people out there are like, okay, he's honest with me. That's now it's in my the ball's in my court right. to make a decision. Right. Do I wanna be still be friendly with this guy mm-hmm. or do I wanna move on? Right. I think especially now with how everybody doing all this open, poly, all that stuff, I think I think more people are receptive to just honesty mm-hmm. versus like lying about it. Mm-hmm. And then now you have this this feeling about dudes. If you don't wanna burn a bridge, why burn the bridge like to start? Just exactly. Like, hey, I am married or I have a girlfriend or right. I'm seeing someone. Right. Do you agree, Smiley? Yeah. You agree? Yeah. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> like, okay. All right. This terrible video that had me so round up okay. that in front so, of the okay, TV. Okay. So if you could uh, just explain the video. <laughs> Elena, you go ahead. Okay. <laughs> to explain the video. It was a, a very entitled, immature oh, male wow. <laughs> sitting on his couch with his body pillow in the background, um, basically <laughs> telling people how men are like God's gift and they do everything right because he was talking as if guys do everything right and females just not ready for a man. They're not ready for a good man. He never defined what good man meant. Can I give you my perspective of what he said? Okay. Yes, please, because I was lost. Yes, he went on so many tangents. Well, well, the, the, I think the title was Black Women Aren't Ready for a Good Black Man. I watched it, and he started talking, and I got the sense, I, I, I honestly, you all probably watched the whole, I didn't watch the whole thing because I was like, this is some bullshit. <laughs> so he, he went on to this thing, he's like, y'all not ready. And then he's like, well, let me let me rephrase this. Y'all not ready for a hetero, mm-hmm. hetero black man, a good man to come into y'all life. Y'all don't even know how to re- respect it or do the things to deserve me. He was making it, he was also saying like, I'm a good black man and you all don't know how to embrace me but the even the tone he may have been a good guy but he was immature very yes right and he was using like kind of like these one-off examples mm-hmm. and, and I, was, I was like he had like the bars playing in the background I was yeah like, what <laughs> but he still never defined what makes this guy a what good yeah black what is man. a good black man and what is a good black woman right 
He just mm-hmm. said she not ready. She don't want to cook, and she did this for this right. dirty guy. But she right. was like, "Dude, you you, know, you hurt somewhere." There's this discussion out there about men, and sometimes black men like this whole what, what do you want to call it, baby boy, or like, is this really a man? Am I dating a man or am I dating a boy? So, like, where do you all stand on that from your experiences? The difference between a boy and a man. Yeah, are, are there more boys out there than men? Most definitely. that was quick most definitely okay okay well then what makes them a boy and not a man a boy number one you like have no goals for yourself you can't want to get in a relationship and then it's like oh we just kicking it you you're like 30 why are you still just kicking it like no number one number two you got baby mamas all over you don't really take care of your children just you don't understand the idea of commitment or like, oh, I only cheated once. You shouldn't be mad. Like, my ex fiance would break his phone every time we got into an argument, and he would be, <laughs> yes, yeah. he would literally like. You didn't know this? No, <laughs> no. I know, I know why he broke his phone. Yeah, I do too. So you because go it? exactly yeah. because oh, I wow. would I bought him a smartwatch. The watch started going off, and I'm like, oh, your watch is going off. He like snatches it. And then I'm like, so what you got to hide? Give me the phone. Give me the watch. Give me the phone. <laughs> so Give me it your got pager. to the <laughs> it got to the point where he's like, you know what? I don't need a phone. Uh. And he's like punching the phone. He broke it. What? He started keeping the watch in his car. That was like a red flag. Why are you keeping your watch in your car? He would take it off before he got in the house. That's a boy. You can't even handle like your bills and things. And I need to act as your mother. That's a boy. Mm-hmm. I think a man can hold his own Mm -hmm. without a woman. Although I don't think that they can exist without us. I think a man can hold his own without a woman. So you have your income. You are able to be Mm self-sufficient without my assistance. That's one of the key indicators for me. You're secure in yourself. I'm just going to throw out a scenario here. Okay. Say you meet a dude. You meet him at the museum. Mm -hmm. He's dressed nicely. Uh, he's talking, saying like, the, all the right things. He smells good. I don't know if the smell is your thing. Not just beyond his deodorant, like he's yeah, he's taking care of himself. Well, you know, well groomed, all that good stuff. But you find out he's a he's a truck driver or he's a bus driver. He's paying his bills. He's got he's got no kids. He goes to church. He's a God fearing man. When he when he needs to go out, he dresses the part. When he goes to work, he's on time. He does direct deposit because <laughs> he's got it like that. He don't need Hello. you to take his money, right? Everything you just described, this dude's got it. He's probably not as educated as you said, like education. Well, where, where does that person fall on the list? That person has a shot with me. I don't know about Elena. They would have a shot with me as long as if I'm getting with you, I'm not getting with you to just like, oh, we just going to date for like two. Like if I've, all my situations have been long term. So I need to see, like, if I had accidentally or intentionally had a child, are you going to instill the values that education are important Mm -hmm. on that child like my family did for me? Like, my dad doesn't have a degree or anything, but he still is like, you need to go to school, you need to do what you need to do to be sufficient for yourself. Right. If you can still bring that quality, then fine. You don't have to, like, if you're making it, but you can't be a long-distance truck driver. I don't do that. Well, I didn't, I didn't mean truck driver. I mean bus driver. Okay. Bus driver. Local. And I remember back in the day, I had a friend of mine as a girl, and she was like, no, I ain't fucking around with a bus driver. I need someone who owns the bus company. I'm not messing around with a mechanic. I need them to own the business. My dad's a mechanic. I'm just saying, like, they, <laughs> she had this, like, idea that they needed to be the entrepreneurs of that if they weren't corporate America type. Mm-hmm. I, I took a few race and ethnicity courses, sociology courses, and there are actually academics that were saying the Cosby show was actually bad for our community. Really? Because it set false expectations that anybody could be a doctor and anybody could be a lawyer. And if you weren't those things, you were a failure. It set that up. Like people are like, oh, I see the you're not doing Cosby type shit, so I can't fuck with you. Mm-hmm. My dad is not... Cosby's hide. I don't have any respect for him. I didn't believe that. We read these articles in these papers that said that. And I think sometimes I hear that when I talk to women. Like, mm-hmm. I need you need to be this. You know, you need you, you got to be doing this. You got to you got to earn this amount. 
I just feel like you want somebody on your level or like at your playing field. If I got my own and you come at me and you mad because yeah. I don't want to talk to you because you don't have nothing, you like working no, no, in rinky dick. No, no, rinky dick. No, I, I laid it out for you. I told you. He's got the pencil. But yeah, like he's, he's got the 401k. He's okay. He's been doing it for 15 years, right? Okay. He's been, he's been, he's been grinding. He's been doing He's He's great. He pays taxes. <laughs> he ties. He does all this stuff. Okay, so... How do you feel? This is a question to you. Yeah. Okay, so I've been in a situation in my last situation where my ex kind of was mad or he felt like it was I was questioning his manhood or whatever, the situation, because I made more than him. Oh, that, that's definitely a boy. And he had, yeah, he had an issue with that. We have gender roles, right? And we grow up we're like we're the providers, we're the head of the like head of the household. They want to they want to lead in all the what they deem as important. I'm just going to be blunt with you. Mm-hmm. Excuse my language. They want to be like, they are the biggest dick that you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. That <laughs> They made the most money mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. anybody you've ever been with. They're the best thing in every major category that they care about. If you're so immature that you're so, that you're frustrated that your wife is doing really well in life, then you got some problems. Once you bring it in together, whatever your agreement is, you shouldn't create an environment where you feel bad. One person feels bad because they pull it in bank, more, more bank. I, I believe that if you're with someone, that you should be uplifting them. Right. That you should be like, I know you're happy with making two X of what I make, but how much more do you want to make? And how can I help you get there? Because it's a partnership and it's a team. You have times when you have to put people on the bench and let other people shine. Not saying, you know, bring other people in of course (laughs) but you have a coach who can motivate you and make you do you know practice drills and then i've made a conscious decision that it's not healthy for us both to be like because we both were going for a while we both were super career driven Mm -hmm. she's got an mba from ivy league school i have an mba from university of chicago i have a great work background but it comes to a point that it's like when when is enough enough Mm -hmm. and then what's important for our family you got to sit down and say, take the numbers away as far as a competition. Let's put the numbers together and say, okay, what do we want to do as a family? We can't keep looking at it as like, all right, I'm at X and she's at blah, 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 mm-hmm. you know, or 1.5 X. That, that's not how it is. And I think that's just immaturity. Right. But I have friends who do well in life and their wives do well. And sometimes their wives do better than them in a the year. And they tell me like, man, that makes me feel, I'm like, what? Did you go on vacation last month? Didn't you go on like all these trips? Were you complaining when, when she was like doing all this stuff to you on the trip? Like, why does that fucking matter? Mm-hmm. Your kids are fed. Your right. kids are taken care of. Okay, so that brings me to another question. Being that you have daughters, yeah, I feel like my parents instilled in me: you need to be independent. You make this. You get what you want. Like, how do you feel? In terms of raising a hyper-independent. Because I feel like that's the place that I am. I'm hyper-independent. And I would let him know, like, you can go. And I feel like that's bad. Like, that was bad on my part. But he could go. (laughs) I think that it's important, especially in the world we live in, that my daughters be independent. I want my daughters to be strong enough to be on their own. But warm enough that if they wanted to be in love, that they could be. That's my approach. And so I want them to be tough. But I also want them to be sweet and I want them to have empathy and not be apathetic towards a whole bunch of people and and whatnot. And so I I do want them to be strong. I'd rather them be strong than be taken advantage of. With that being said, women that are independent and strong are not doing anything wrong. But you have to recognize how you come across. My wife, uh, she has a lot of friends. But she has one friend in particular, an African-American girl. And, uh, I mean, she's banging it at work. She's going to... You know, south of France, and they like she's killing it. And I just told her, I said, "You're awesome. You're beautiful. You're always looking good. You're traveling. You, every everything on Facebook, you, you're just killing it." But there's certain type of dudes that can't handle that. That's too much because a lot of guys they want to be able to be the ones to help you do that. Mm-hmm. They want to be like, "I helped my girl do this," or if they don't feel like they're needed, they could feel a certain way. They're not strong and mature. You being super hyper-independent, there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to recognize how that comes across. I think I have those qualities too. And that's why I agree with you when you say I need to be with someone on my level. They don't need to be doing everything that you need to do. They need to love you. They need to appreciate you. And they need to love you 
in a way, like for you, the best part of a relationship when you can just lean on each other and completely trust each other and be like, I know they got faults, they got strengths, but I'm just completely trusting. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and trust that they are doing what they said they are going to do and whatnot. And when they come at me and they say, Hey, I need you to calm down. They come in a very respectful manner. You're like, Oh, I can, I can listen to that. We are in a time where women are doing things every year now women are doing more and more things that women weren't doing before. Mm -hmm. I thought Michelle Obama was probably more amazing in the White House or as amazing as Barack Obama. You got Hillary running just five, ten years ago Mm -hmm. at the level that wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. You got Republicans and Democrats that are women saying things Mm -hmm. and not just being women. You all are constantly breaking the ceiling, and it's a shock to dudes. Mm -hmm. The question is out there, though. You think it's more boys than men? I think I've always been taught that it's going to take a man a long time to mature. And so mm-hmm. I, it's more like expected at this point. But she would tell you the same thing, though. And she dated different guys, right, than you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Same fucking attitude. Same, like, crazy boy behavior. Wow. Yeah. Well, Lion is a different animal. I've had some crazy experiences, but. Yeah. Oh, my sister told me about something. Some 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 guy texted her or sent her a message and said, "I want to suck the farts out of your ass." Oh. Yeah, they said some crazy stuff. The guys are kind of weird. This guy messaged me. He wore heels. He was like, "I hope it doesn't bother you. I'm a straight man. I really like heels, though." And he would show pictures. Will you his wear them out in public? Yes, he would like put on his man outfits with a pair of like six inch women's heels, and I'm like, "Yo." You shit no me though. Why why you why why your shit doper than mine? He had like not ugly feet. I was kind of surprised. Do uh, do people just troll? Like is that does he just I don't trolling? know. I don't know. I think he was legit. Like he had a lot of pictures like Wow. He liked he was like, "You know, I'm not abnormal except for the shoes." And I'm, I'm not abnormal like, <laughs> except for my But would he wear them to work? Every picture that he had when he was standing, he had on women's shoes. And he was like, he really likes the way they felt. He liked how they look. He likes, clearly he liked feet. He would have pictures of just his shoes. And I'm like, is that a woman's foot? And I'm like, oh. Did you meet him? Did you hang out with him? Hell (laughs) no. Just because of the feet? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, no. That's weird. Is that weird? Yeah. Very. Are you you serious? Well, what if he had, what if he hit all the criteria? Hell no. He gonna have to put some real shoes on. (laughs) 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 You said said if he hit these criteria. No, you can't be like, he was crazy. That constitutes crazy. <laughs> so you wouldn't be surprised if like he, you know, ended up as a serial killer or something. Like I that. would not. I'm not messing with it at all. So Blocked. what about you? What 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 what's up with you? Um. Well, I'm not on OK Cupid. <laughs> I'm in a relationship. <laughs> yeah. It's been a year and some change now. Wait a minute, but uh, we're gonna play that clip too. In this second clip from Kinky Conscious, episode 15, to all the ladies in the place. Munchie is describing her feelings about her response to the Women's March. She started out being like, meh. And then as she watched the march, she really started to understand what it meant for her. And she had this epiphany while she was driving with her boyfriend. I don't think I have anything left to give you. Like, I don't think I have anything left to give you. I've I've sacrificed. Mm -hmm. And... I don't even think I'm happy. Not, I'm not happy with right. you, but I don't think I'm happy with who I am right Right now. And I can't give you anymore because I've given you all I have and all I know, all that's left of me is just unhappiness and unfulfilled, right. you know, dreams and goals and things like that. And I think true happiness is going to come from me actually getting out here and doing all these things that I know I'm capable of, but mm-hmm. have been sitting on my ass about or been fearful of or whatever the situation may be. But I just know that at this moment, I've, I've given all I have, you know? And I think that's what really makes a woman too is you give all that you got in everything that you do at your job with being a mother, mm-hmm. with being a wife, girlfriend, fiance, whatever it may be, you give your all. Until you don't have no more. And then when you don't have no more, you still keep going. Just randomly driving in the car. So you said this to a dude you were dating for a year and a half? Yeah. What I like about him is that I don't I don't have to withhold anything. I can just 
be my entire self. But you broke. That's a breakup conversation. You were like, I got nothing more to give you. It was. It was getting. I know we going to Target, but (laughs) I don't have any. Like, are you talking about money for gas? No, like everything, life. I don't have shit to give you anymore. Mm -hmm. How do you recover from that? You talk. Talk it out. Communicate. I know it sounds really. Munchie's very intense. Anyway, like I get texts from her that are like. She's pissed off at two in the morning. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with her? She'll be hiding in the morning. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> like, that's just who she is. I mean, you. I mean, that was that's just devastating. You realize that, right? Yes, I do. And hearing it from other people, I realize, all right, maybe I, that wasn't the best approach. No, to but it. if he deserved it, I mean, if if he was like being a knucklehead, right? And that's what I had the realization about being a woman, and I hadn't really felt. M- like a woman until that point when I realized, wow, we really give and sacrifice a lot. And it gets to the point where you don't think you can sacrifice anymore. And what do you do about it? And that's... Break up. Oh, no. I'm joking. That's what she did. She's like, I got, I got nothing else. Bye. <laughs> Be a little bit more specific. What are the things that you as a woman have to give up and sacrifice? It's a lot of energy that you put into relationships in a committed relationship Time comes along with that. Also, it's sometimes like you lose a little bit of yourself in in that person. And I hadn't mm-hmm. done that bef- before. No. All of this is really new for me. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I come to these realizations about things at 2 o'clock in the morning, like Elena says. Yeah, time, energy, uh, sometimes money. You say you give up, you sacrifice money? Sometimes. Sometimes it could be, you know, like, Oh, you're in a jam. Let me help. Let you. me help you out. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if this is somebody who you really seriously care about and you right. commit a relationship with it, that's that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. And it won't be the first or the last time, you know, when you all have to pull each other's way. It's times when I've been in a jam and he's like, yo, here you go. You know, take what you need and we're going to get past it. So time, energy, money, a little bit of yourself, yeah. um, a little bit of your sanity. But that losing a little bit of yourself. You get a lot too, though, right? You get, yes. You get a great relationship, and yeah, yeah. I, I, I sometimes, and this is not a bad thing. I, I sometimes because your show is so great, I sometimes forget that you all don't have as many life experiences as other people that I, you know, that I've grown with, mm-hmm. you know. And so when you're like, I realized I was a woman. I'm like, <laughs> oh, damn, <laughs> like. Like thinking about these things, like who you want to be and what you yeah. want to do, and, yeah. and and trying to trying to really you know figure figure it out. it out. And that's kind of the point you're at when you're in your 20s. After you graduate college, you're in this moment of like, all right, now what? What am I doing? Yeah. Where yeah. am I going? Where do yeah. I see myself? Who do I want to be with? Is this the person I'm going to be with for the rest of my life? Was this the job I'm going to have to stay at for the rest of my life? What exactly is going on? Like a quarter life crisis almost. And that, it does exist. It surely does. I've had it. Yeah, it exists. I've spent like all of my 25 year of being 25 just like in this crying, emotional, what is going on? Do I have control over everything? Maybe I got to start going to church every Sunday. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Somebody help me. Jesus. No, really. Jesus. Right. <laughs> Seriously. Me. I don't want to scare you. Don't don't say it only gets worse. I don't want to hear that. It doesn't get worse. It definitely gets harder. So right now you're weighing yourself with yourself for the most part. Mm-hmm. And then you're also like, who do I want to be in this relationship with this person? So you, you may you may also be weighing that person, right? Mm-hmm. That's just at the early stages, right? So it doesn't it doesn't get worse. It actually gets better because then you all become this unit and you start helping each other out. You don't have to carry as much stuff. Like right. I literally there's shit that I never remember because my wife is there. And I just offshore it. We have things. Anything electronic in this place is me. It doesn't matter if I've showed her fifteen times, she's never gonna it's she offshores that to me. That's a good feeling to yeah. her. I offshore other shit to her, mm-hmm. right? Even though, even if I'm the one consuming it, I'm like, oh, I thought you were going to remember that. That's your, your thing. That's good. But you add kids and stuff, and you add life, and we were talking about the nanny and the school and, yeah. the, and all that stuff. I, I don't really have time to be worrying about 
37 year old Farah, like this podcast is my worrying about me. Like, mm-hmm. This little this time I make for this, like you do your podcast, you do a whole bunch of other shit. Yeah. I do podcasts and I live right, and I volunteer. That that's it. It's great and it's rewarding, but think about all the stuff I do. I meet you. I work 50 hours a week. Mm-hmm. I do this podcast. When do I make time for my wife? So when I say it gets harder, it gets harder balancing all that stuff right. out. And as my wife, when, I, when my wife talks to me, it gets harder for her. She she constantly struggles with this idea of being a great employee, continue to be ambitious, and then being a great mom. Sometimes those just don't go hand in hand. Before you all came here, she's like, could you go upstairs and take a picture of my kids so I can just see them? Because mm-hmm. she's in California. That's hard. Yeah. Right? And that's kind of one of the points that we were making with the episode because we were discussing the Women's March and then me having this epiphany about becoming a woman. The various roles that we have and juggling those roles and sacrificing a little bit of yourself along the way and it just becomes, we're really great at it, I feel. Women are. I I think women are. Yeah, women are amazing at this stuff. That's why, um, as you noted earlier, we're making these huge leaps in progress because we're now given the opportunity to just be like, boom, let's go. At the same time, there's a lot that comes along with all the roles that we have, and we do a damn good job at doing it. It's interesting seeing where you are now (laughs) and kind of like reconciling that, like fast forwarding it to where you're gonna be, like, where I am. Yeah. In, in life, and you're just like, wow. Yeah. Damn. Like, mm-hmm. you're so much <laughs> further ahead in, like, that thinking process. Like, I never was like, who do I want to be as a man? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're on some deep shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's common. Like, in my friends from, like, school, they're like, oh, I'm just trying to live life and I want to go yeah. to Miami and, and wanna, we're talking about going to Vegas. And I think that's why I get along with Munchie so well. And like the friends that we have from like school or different friends that I have in general, yeah. because we've always been like a couple levels above. Mm-hmm. Like even, like I said, in seventh grade, I'm looking for high schools. Nobody's really doing that. <laughs> and then like, we're having deep conversations about things that I guess normal 20, 22 year olds and things wouldn't talk about. So it's like, you're always a step above. Mm-hmm. You surround your pe- surround yourself with people who are like you. So when you're having those meltdowns, you can have them together. <laughs> Deeper Dish is hosted by Farah. Intro, mixing, editing. It's done by Alyssa Moxley. Produced by me, Farah. Our outro was performed by From Beyond These Walls, and the song is City of Dystopia. If you want to contact us directly, feel free to contact us at deeperdishshy at gmail.com or on Twitter. Our handle is at deeperdishshy. Our website is www.deeperdishshy.com.